Everyone, please find your seat because school is in session. You're listening to the New Teacher Hotline, presented by the American Board for Certification of Teacher Excellence. Hi there, and welcome to the new Teacher Hotline, episode number 18. Let me welcome you to our happy place. Even though the holiday season is over, that doesn't mean we won't stop giving these bi-monthly gifts of knowledge, and that is no exception today. We bring you an after-Christmas present with the Teacher of the Year for New York, Rich Onyebeni, and he's going to be on in just a couple of minutes. Now, it's been a little while since our last Teacher of the Year. Do you remember when that was, Glenn? I'm going to put you on the spot. I I do. I do. It was last year. Okay, it and, was last year, and that's been narrow. In 2007, and it was a teacher from the state, the great state of Texas. It is, and she yes. did a great job. It was. It was Dana Boyd from, uh, as Glenn said, the state of Texas, on the 4th of July, episode 10, in case you're curious and you want to go back and listen. And now we've got the teacher of the year for the state of New York. Anybody who can be the teacher of the year, whether it's for your state or your school system or county or school, I think that's high praise, and I don't take it lightly, and I'm excited about listening to what uh, Rich has to say today. Absolutely, and New York is one of the largest states by student population, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. I think it is. Slightly bigger than Rhode Island, right? Slightly bigger than about 75 Rhode Islands, I think. (laughs) Now, before we bring him on on the call, I want to share some exciting news about the podcast. And this, I haven't even told Glenn yet, so this is going to be new to you, new information. Most, Most things are. Right. I like to spring things on you because then it's more, you know, spontaneous. <laughs> more spontaneous. <laughs> right. See we if he knows, really knows the answer. Over a period of time, the podcast has grown. We're not quite a year old. We're coming up on a year here in a couple of months. We'll have to have some kind of spectacular that day. Maybe fireworks. That would be exciting. I think that's a good idea. The podcast has steadily grown. Obviously, no one knew about us when we first started. And if you did, hey, we're glad to have you along for this whole ride. But now... Suddenly, we have gotten a very big population listening, and we want to thank you if you're new, if you're old, if you've come back, if you just stumbled across us, um, any way that happened. We want to welcome you because now we have over 2,000 people listening per episode, and we're very excited about that. As a matter of fact, if you go to iTunes, to the podcast section, and you do a search for teachers, we've now moved up to the sixth most popular podcast for teachers on iTunes right now. Absolutely have. We are number six. We're on the list. Our logo shows up. It's very exciting. So we can't do that without you, our faithful listeners. Thank you very much for tuning in. And, hey, let's keep these numbers going. What most people don't realize is the original 200 listeners that we had were our brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles. So now we have people that actually don't know us listening to these. So, wow, I'm I'm a little bit in awe of that. But our goal is to continue to provide uh, useful information that will help teachers and especially new teachers. So let us know if we're doing a good job and let us know if we're not doing a good job. And we'll try to make the adjustment as necessary. So thanks a lot. Yeah, we do appreciate any and all feedback. You can always reach us by newteacherhotline at gmail.com. You can also uh, go onto the website, www.newteacherhotline.com. Every single episode there has got a comment section, so feel free to chime in on those. And we want to say a big thanks to the Association of American Educators. You can find them at www.aaeteachers.org. They put a very big link to the New Teacher Hotline podcasts right up on their very front page, the top left corner of their website. Couldn't be any more prominent. It's as big as their own logo. So we want to say thanks very much to that group for um, finding value on our podcast and advertising it really so clearly. 
So thanks very much, guys. That's it. Once again, the Association of American Educators, www.aaeteachers.org. So I think without any further ado, let's bring on Rich, the Teacher of the Year for New York. From sea to shining sea, from Purple Mountain Majesty, across the fruited plain, we're spanning the globe to bring you the teachers of the year for all 50 states. This is the American Top 50. A big new teacher hotline. Welcome to uh, Rich Onyebeni. Rich, I'm glad to have you on. Mike, it's a pleasure to be here. And we're glad you're here, Rich. Well, I'm, I'm glad to be here, and I'm proud to represent the teachers in New York State. It's, a, it's been a very exciting year for me. So now, I've never myself lived in New York, but my wife was excited to hear that we had you on because my wife is from Long Island. I'm in um, upstate New York in Rochester, but one of my dear friends was last year's Teacher of the Year, Marguerite Izzo, the 2007 from New York, and she's from Melbourne, Long Island. So, yeah, we have a terrific state. All parts of it are interesting and, and good places to live. Yeah, I googled I googled the address when I, when you responded to our request for the interview, mm-hmm. and you're right up there near Lake Ontario, correct? Indeed, I am. Okay, so are you completely covered in ten feet of snow at the moment, or I can I can see my grass in the back of the front yard. We have nothing here right now. So really, it's, mm, it's, it's been uh, kind of a warm spell up here recently. <laughs> well, I'm going to go ahead and ask you just the, a couple basic questions. I'm sure you've answered this a million times. Mm-hmm. And uh, but the first one is, what do you teach? Where do you teach? How long have you been at it? All right. I teach Regents Chemistry and Regents Physics. Uh, Regents are the state tests in New York, and I teach them at Fairport High School, uh, which is a suburb on the eastern side of Rochester. And this is my 22nd year of teaching, if you can believe that. That's great. You're a grizzled veteran officially then, right? I am um, one of the grizzled veterans, and all of a sudden, in in about a five-year span with a lot of retirements, I went from one of the younger teachers to one of the older teachers. It's, it's kind of a fun transition. <laughs> that does seem to be the, what's happening now, right? Just There's droves of teachers retiring in clumps. Yes. Uh, in, in New York, we call them the Tier 1 teachers. Uh, it's based on a retirement system. But, yes, loads of teachers retiring in, in a very short span. And, and one of the challenges of teaching right now is getting people to replace them, um, particularly in math and science, You know, my field. Uh, being chemistry and physics. So it's uh, very important that we get our best and our brightest students to think about becoming teachers. Now, the Teacher of the Year process is different state to state. So Mm -hmm. do you want to give us just a quick overview on how you become uh, the Teacher of the Year of the state of New York? Sure. Um, In New York, uh, my principal nominated me, and from that I had to fill out uh, an application packet that included several essays and a resume and letters of recommendation from a student and a parent of a student and a colleague um, and an administrator. And that goes... That whole portfolio goes to state ed, and at uh, the state ed department, they picked 10 semifinalists out of all the applications across the state, and then a second committee narrows it down to five finalists, and then those five finalists get observed teaching, and then they drive to Albany, our state capital, and have a one-hour interview, and from that, they pick a winner. And in no time, you have to sing in front of Simon Cowell or any of the people. <laughs> <with> the <record. laughs> well, not only sing, uh, apparently I fared um, not too well in the swimsuit portion of the competition, but the talent <laughs> oh, I did quite well, yes. So one made up for the other. Yes, yes, I made up. I balanced that off, yes. <laughs> well, that's good. Well, it seems like the swimsuit part is a little bit archaic anyway. So. Absolutely. So, okay, uh, now- moving right along. <laughs> I was going to say, Rich, that's quite an honor being uh, named Teacher of the Year. And I, I mean that sincerely as an and, educator. Yeah, and, and all joking aside, that um, when my principal called me in and told me he was nominating me, it was one of the greatest days of my life. Um, to have 
to have a colleague, a friend, uh, and your boss say, we really value what you do. Uh, that in and of a, itself is terrific. So mm-hmm. um, well, it's been very exciting. That's high praise. My question is linked to that. What did you guys do to receive this honor? Well, I, you know, I think the, the kind of characteristics that great teachers would share is that we're passionate. Uh, we're passionate about our students. We're yeah. passionate about our content. Passion for the profession and passion for the students. So Absolutely. my compliments. I, I happen to agree with you on that one. I know there's got to be some things that are cut and dry qualifications. You know, how do your students perform and mm-hmm. regents tests were there. You've got mm-hmm. uh, a method by which to measure data sure. and um, to measure student mastery of, of the topic. Now, I know there's also some quote unquote intangibles mm-hmm. because a teacher can teach the content well, but not gain the respect of students and not create that learning environment or cultivate that learning environment that really is a catalyst for that. What are the things that you do in your classroom to not only communicate the material, but to create an environment where the students actually enjoy coming to class and want to learn? Well, that's a very insightful question because there are those intangibles. And then I think right now we, we focus often on that tangible test score as a judge. And that's certainly one piece of the puzzle. But I think what I've learned over my my 22 years is there's a short-term goal as a teacher of that standardized test in June of whatever subject you teach. And then there's that long-term goal of of helping students self-actualize and be the best they can at whatever they're going to be. And certainly in chemistry and physics, I know know, if I have 120 students this year, 10 or 12 of them may end up as science majors or in some science-related field. But the other 100 are not. And and so if I judge myself simply on that test, that's really selling uh, the other 110 a little bit short. And, you know, I've learned over time that uh, to balance the short-term goal of of getting them ready for the content, um, but also the long-term goal of what are those life lessons I can teach them about being hard workers, about being intellectually curious, about being good citizens, about being kind people. And that's really kind of fits into my, my classroom atmosphere. I, I think if you were to ask my principal, my best skill as a teacher, it would be creating a culture of family in the classroom. And I work very, very hard at that. Uh, my, my philosophy of education is that people do better when they're surrounded by love and support. And I work hard from day one of um, establishing a routine with students, um, connecting with kids, both with classroom rules and structure and such, but also in that first week of school, I, I write them a letter, Dear Student, my name is Mr. Onyebeni and I'm teaching 22 years, and tell them a little about me, and I have them write me a letter back. And in that letter... I find out about them. Uh, students will tell me, particularly boys, things they might not say out loud, uh, what sports teams they're on, what music they like. And then I use that letter, and I, the next week I try to talk to every student about something they wrote about. So it's a simple little lesson. It takes about five minutes to do, but you connect with kids, and you find out what's important, and then you can build lesson plans around things that they find interesting. And when students know that you care, boy, they'll, they'll knock down walls for you, and, and they'll want to learn, and they'll want to come to class every day. And, and your discipline problems decrease. And so letting kids, letting kids know that you care, reaching out to them, giving them love, all of those are factors I think that make the classroom uh, more than just a content delivery device. Well, that really echoes a lot of the things that I used to believe as a teacher mm-hmm. too. The, at the end of the day, test scores are important and mastery is mm-hmm. important, but just as important or more important in my mind was that the students actually cared about what was happening. Absolutely. And they were an active part of that learning process and that, you know, it's much easier to teach a student who's eager to be in your classroom something than just have to drag them every day, kicking and screaming. Let's say, and you know, you can plead the fifth on this okay. if you like, but what would you, what do you think is uh, the most boneheaded mistake you made as a new teacher? I could give you 12. Okay. Uh, oh gosh. First year teacher. I, I, I hope you have four hours. <laughs> I could list them off. <laughs> and 
I would say in terms of classroom control and discipline, I was very young and I was 22 right out of college and I was in a middle school and I had never trained in middle school. All my student teaching had been in the high school level. I didn't know how to provide the structure to keep the classroom moving forward. And because I was new and because there wasn't a lot of mentoring, I tended not to want to to pull the trigger early enough on the discipline. And when you're young and you're new and the kids are going to test you, you really have to have your act together and you have to have some ideas about giving the class enough structure so that the kids behave and also creating that positive environment. And you learn those tricks over the years. But I think the the biggest bonehead mistake is giving kids too many, you know, too many warnings. And in that first couple of days of school, they established that, you know, I was not in charge and they were. And, and then you live with it that first year because those mistakes you make that first year stay with you till June. And then you come back the second year um, and you're a little smarter and, and you continue to grow. And, you know, I think that's probably the mistake I see with new, that the new teachers struggle with the greatest is that classroom control. But how encouraging is that, that even if somebody's having a rough first year, how you could go from struggling with discipline to really mastering discipline and going to teacher of the year? That's a really big progression, it, it, you know? It's huge. And I... You know, I, I think one of the things that, that new teachers really need to know is there's a lot of failure in teaching. And, and just because I'm teacher of the year or somebody's a great teacher doesn't mean that every day all 120 of my kids learn everything I teach or that every interaction with every student is perfect. I, I think what you learn over time, what makes great teachers great is on those days when you struggle and things don't go perfectly, um, you wake up the next day. And you come in with with the strength and the love and the wisdom to try again and keep going. And, you know, as you get better, the failure decreases. But you cannot interact with, with hundreds of kids day after day, year after year, and expect everything to work perfectly all the time. And, in fact, there will be days that you struggle, no matter how good you are. And to, you know, talk with colleagues and, and share ideas, and that's how you grow. Um, and to and to keep coming back with the confidence that the next day it's going to be better and you're going to reach those kids that maybe you didn't get today. I think that's a very important lesson for new teachers. Well said. I understand now why you are the teacher of the year. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of our listeners are first-year teachers or they're planning to become teachers. Mm-hmm. What real and practical advice would you give a new teacher the summer before they start their teaching profession. How do you get ready? I think there are two aspects, and I, I think there's certainly you have to know your content. But honestly, Glenn, I've, I, in all my years, I've hardly ever seen a teacher fail for lack of content knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, the, I the agree. Sec- the second factor is is the affective domain, and it's mm-hmm. those are, it's that interaction with with your students and with your colleagues that really makes or breaks you as a teacher. And again, early in my career. I thought that a classroom atmosphere was just something that flowed out of all the other stuff that you do. What I've learned is that the classroom atmosphere actually has to be planned for just as much as my content, that the affective domain has to be planned for as much as the cognitive. So you need to plan activities to create a classroom environment that's positive. Here's here's a simple one I do. Um, the first day, the first Friday of school, I do some icebreakers with students. Um, you know, tell me something you're proud of, and kids will tell you something they're good at, and I allow kids to get to know other kids in the classroom because I want them to work in learning communities. And if they know each other and it's become safe to talk to each other, they're more likely to help each other once we roll up our sleeves and get going on a chemistry problem. So that's a planned event. And and people might look at that as, well, geez, on that one day, he's really not teaching science. But in fact, that one day buys me a whole year of, of cooperation amongst my students. Work that in just as much as you plan for your cognitive lessons. You have to plan those affective lessons to create that classroom atmosphere. And that's something as a new teacher, you might not even know how to do. You might need to talk to a veteran about 
what do you do to create a classroom that's got a positive culture? And I think, yeah, the other, the other piece of that is when you're delivering the content, um, again, early in my career, it was probably more teacher-centered and more lecture because that was the only trick I knew. Now, 22 years in, I can deliver a lesson in a myriad of ways where I talk a little but then have multiple modalities of learning and all that good stuff where students are actually helping each other and working in groups. And that can really buy you a little time to kind of work around and get to know your kids. just brings all sorts of better behavior when you give students a little free reign to learn in their own styles and you develop skills to teach to those different learning styles. Rich, mm -hmm. changing gears a little bit okay. here. Again, we're, we're giving advice to uh, new teachers. Mm -hmm. What would you tell them about discipline and how to control classroom behavior or student behavior? Again, this all fits into the classroom atmosphere. And, you know, I think as a new teacher, I thought of discipline as what you do after the kid misbehaves. You know, and, and I studied in college cantor as a sort of discipline and then all the other styles. But it was always a, what do you do after the behavior? And it took me a few years in to realize that if you're thinking about it as only after the behavior, you've really lost the battle in some ways. You have to think about before the behavior and what are you going to do to make kids want to behave. You know, sometime in the first few weeks, I call their parents and I tell them how great their kids are. If a kid gets a good grade on a quiz, I send a postcard home or an email. Mm -hmm. um, praise early and often helps create an atmosphere where kids want to behave. But also, on the first day of school, I have classroom rules. I keep them real simple. You know, I will treat everyone with respect. I will come to class on time. And I spend the first few minutes of class of that very first day establishing the rules. I think that first day, uh, Glenn, is so, so important. And people underestimate that. Kids make that assessment in that first day or two about whether you're to have your act together or not. So that first day when they come into class, you better have that seating chart made and you better have materials are. And, and you got to give them the, you know, you got to show them that you are in charge and uh, right. ready to go. So, you know, I think you balance those carrots and those sticks, those very positive praise messages and, you know, the sticks about, and if you do misbehave, I'll do that. And, you know, that's a lifelong task as a teacher. I, I think, you know, you get better at it every year. What works in one class doesn't always work perfectly in another. But I think every year that you learn more about yourself and about teaching, you get a little better at it. That's a great answer. What trends do you see in education now? If I'm, if I'm a new teacher, what, what's the future of teaching look like? Where do you see it going? Uh, well, uh, certainly the most ubiquitous trend right now is just excessive reliance on test scores as the sole measure of a student's performance or a teacher's performance. That's a little bit of a sad trend and a scary trend for me. And I'm not averse to standardized tests. I, I think tests have a, a very important function in the teaching environment. But I, I have two rules for using assessments wisely. And, you know, one is, does the assessment increase my efficacy as a teacher? You know, does it make me a better teacher? Does it make my student mm -hmm. a better learner? And the other is, do I use the results of the test in the way that allows me to treat my students humanely? And that second rule is sometimes lost in the, in the greater public sphere by people who are not teachers. I do worry that, you know, we veteran teachers who've been around a bit, we know how to balance things off. And we know that the test is part of how you evaluate a student, but there are other ways to evaluate. Uh, there are students who are dyslexic or terrible test takers, but you put, you put them in front of some physics equipment and say, wire me a lamp, and they can put the whole thing together and have it work perfectly. Mm -hmm. um, that's a different type of learning. That doesn't show up on a fill-in-the-box test. I value that type of learning, and I, I think we are losing sight of the fact that students learn in different ways. And so we as teachers have to remember that, you know, we certainly want our kids to do well on tests, but there are many ways to evaluate students, 
And as a new teacher coming in, you'll certainly be expected to get your kids ready for the test as best as you can. But you have to have the inner strength to say there are there are other things equally as important. And and that's a you know that's a skill that uh, older teachers are going to have to help mentor newer teachers with. Well, I think that's great advice. Yeah, the the example uh, that I use all the time is you know a fifth grade teacher in a district where I work. And, and I'm in a suburban district, certainly an affluent district. Those kids enter that room reading at the fifth grade level. And mm-hmm. so if, if he or she is a good teacher, by the end of the year, they'll be at the sixth grade level. And those kids will, you know, pass the state reading test and everything's great. That same teacher in a poorer school might have kids entering his fifth grade classroom reading at a second grade level. And, and that teacher might bring those kids from second up to fourth grade, but they still might not pass the fifth grade reading test, and yet that teacher's done a great job. Um, they've shown incredible growth. And so mm-hmm. you can't just use a single test score as a rubric for how a teacher's doing or how's a student doing. Uh, what we do is so complex, and unfortunately, uh, we're not a nation that always loves complexity. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, I think it's important that you know, we in the profession don't succumb to that pressure to oversimplify our jobs, because what we do is complicated. Um, it's tricky stuff. Well, we're actually running up against the ceiling on our conversational time, and I wish we we could continue. That's okay. I have one more question. Okay, well, I'll let you squeeze that in, Glenn. Go ahead. Okay, last question. Sure. Uh, Rich, yeah. in 25 words or less, what advice would you give for a new teacher? Most important advice, love your kids, love your kids, love your kids. There you um, go. When, when every other strategy fails, more love is always a viable solution. Well, I love that answer, and I think it's the best one. I agree. Well, thanks, Rich, for joining us. You were fantastic to talk to. Uh, gentlemen, this has been an absolute pleasure. I'm so excited about your show. I, um, I'm, in, I'm going to tell my, uh, my assistant superintendent to include this when they do new teacher mentoring so that our new teachers will be checking out your podcast. Yeah, that's uh, wonderful. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Rich. Take care. There's uh, so many things that he said that really struck a chord with me. Tell you what, that guy's right on the money. Yeah, I really like when he was talking about the nature of keeping kids involved and, and really showing that you care about your kids. And he really was very clear that he made a conscious effort to make the classroom a nice place to be. And I think that's great advice for a new teacher. He said two things that resonate with me. One is, and it came out in his voice, it came out in what he said and the way he said it. He's passionate about his job. He likes the kids, he likes the profession, and, you know, with that kind of enthusiasm and that kind of passion, it's great to be in a classroom like that. The other thing he said that I agree with, again, 100%, you got to love the kids. And if you don't, you're probably in the wrong profession, and, you know, you might want to rethink where you are, but it's obvious that he does. Yeah, at the end of the day, the ups or downs, you've got to have a base. You've mm-hmm. got to have something to fall back on, understanding a place of teamwork, a place where you can both build from, that no matter what happens, at least you're all working towards the same goal. They're not just data points. They're little people. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I think it's about time for me to go to the faculty lounge. Missed an episode or two? www.newteacherhotline.com. Past episodes, message boards, and uh, uh, other stuff. Go there now. You know you want to. All the cool kids are doing it. The New Teacher Hotline is presented every two weeks by the American Board for Certification of Teacher Excellence. Look us up online at www.abcte.org. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the American Board for Certification of Teacher Excellence. In fact, ABCTE makes no claim that downloading this podcast will even be worth your time. But, you know, we, we hope it is. Our theme song is courtesy of Van Davis at www.vandavis.com. Thanks for listening.